Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Tommy Butts, Extension Weed Scientist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. And thank you for joining me today, and I just wanted to say good morning or good afternoon or good evening, wherever you're listening, whatever time you're listening at. Uh, thank you for joining us for this episode, uh, the episode 19, actually, of our Weeds Are Wild podcast series. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about several different things, uh, you know, primarily as we're getting later in the, the season, especially towards the end of our weed control portion of the growing season. Uh, and so I just wanted to hit on a few topics to watch out for here towards the end of the season and give you a few tips moving forward and then just kind of an update on our podcast series moving forward. Uh, so the first thing that I really wanted to kind of touch on today was um, herbicide drift. And so we've all, uh, all of us weed scientists here at the University of Arkansas have gotten many calls over the past uh, couple weeks uh, dealing with herbicide drift and, and the repercussions of that drift and what symptoms are and all those kinds of fun things. So I wanted to hit on a couple main ones that I've gotten phone calls on. Um, the first one that I've gotten calls on is uh, glyphosate drift onto rice. And the, the one thing I really wanted to mention on this front is that it's a very dangerous time period uh, for glyphosate to be drifting and hitting our rice crop. Uh, primarily because a lot of our rice is, is entering reproductive stages. You know, a lot of it's at flood. We're starting to hit um, that, that half inch inner node, uh, all those kinds of things. And that is the absolute worst time for glyphosate to hit our rice crop because it immediately gets dumped into the seed head. And at that point, you know, we get uh, shortened flag leaves. Uh, we can get, um, parrot beaking uh, on our seeds or even blank out entire seed heads. We also can blow that seed head out the side uh, of the rice plant. And all of this can lead to either, you know, harvest inefficiency or yield loss to, to a large extent. Um, now, we also can see some visual symptoms typically with this, and that includes, you know, buggy whipping of those rice plants, uh, crimped leaves, maybe a slight yellow color, you know, all those kinds of things. And so this can be a really detrimental aspect at the stages that we're entering into with our rice plant. So the big thing I wanted to mention there is just we have to be careful if we're applying glyphosate next to our rice fields. You know, we still need that to go out on a lot of our soybean and cotton acres, um, you know, manage grasses and other things. But we, we just need to watch what we're doing. We have to be careful. You know, make sure we're doing all these drift mitigation practices to make sure that we watch out and, and don't let that glyphosate hit, and hit our neighbor's rice field because it will not be pretty. Um, from there, the next herbicide drift that I wanted to talk about that has really blown up over the past couple of weeks. And, you know, maybe you've heard, you know, some reports, this, maybe you haven't, but I just wanted to give an update on it here. Um, dicamba injury has really swept across the state in, in a lot of our soybean acres. Um, the first thing I did want to mention with dicamba, just as a reminder, we are past our cutoff date officially now in the state. So June 30th was that cutoff. So it is officially illegal to apply any more dicamba in the state. Um, but uh, along those lines, we, like I mentioned in the past couple of weeks, we've had a lot of phone calls come in, a lot of pictures, a lot of, uh, field, uh, visit requests to come look at dicamba damage. Um, it's very widespread at this point. Uh, primarily a lot of the counties that I've been hearing, uh, reports from include Poinsett, Cross, Lone Oak Prairie and Arkansas counties. Um, and they have a lot of landscape damage. But it's also evident in several other counties, in, including Chico and Deshaies, uh, Lincoln, 
um, and then a few other scattered counties here or there uh, as well. Um, at this point, uh, I did want to mention, you know, specifically reported to me. So, I mean, this is not counting, you know, Tom or, or Dr. Norsworthy or anyone else. This is just strictly reported to me from county agents I've talked to, from consultants I've talked to, farmers, all those kinds of things. And then all the fields that I've walked, I'm currently estimating that we have a minimum of 200,000 acres of soybean, just strictly soybean affected from dicama damage across the state. Uh, again, that's just me. That's not counting everyone else and a lot of the acres that probably aren't reported and, and, and everything else. Um, now, also, I wanted to mention all our research stations in eastern Arkansas have been hit at least once, um, you know, including Kaiser, Pine Tree, Mariana, Stuckart, and Roar. They have been damaged and documented with plant board to have dicamba injuries. So, Again, you know, widespread dicamba damage, especially in the past couple of weeks, it's really popped up um, hot and heavy in a lot of areas. And it seems that we just get more and more reports every day. So just be on the lookout for those symptoms. Um, and, you know, it's very, the, the symptoms have been consistent of a, of a cupping, uh, you know, the, the patented cupping symptoms that we see. Um, and again, cupping is very, uh, very indicative of dicamba damage. We can get some cupping out of potentially facet, but normally it takes a much higher rate of facet to cause that symptom. So unless we're right next to a rice field, more than likely it's not facet causing the injury, especially if it goes across an entire, you know, 80 acre field or larger, normally it, it, facet cannot spread that far and keep causing that cupping system. If it goes across and it's even across that entire field, that's normally signs that it's dicamba damage. Um, you know, again, when it comes to yield loss and those things, we don't have a good way to estimate yield loss. I will say in a lot of the fields that I've walked, I do expect at least some yield loss to occur simply because of the timing that a lot of the beans I've walked have gotten hit. Uh, you know, a lot of our research shows, uh, and a lot of the research across the country shows that if soybeans get hit right at that late vegetative, early reproductive, so we're talking that R1 growth stage, that almost always they will exhibit some kind of yield loss, no matter the rate that they get hit with. And that's a lot of the soybeans that I walked. They were right at that R1 growth stage when they got hit. So, you know, I fully expect that there to be, you know, some yield loss on, on those uh, acres. Again, if it's, you know, earlier in vegetative or later in reproductive, you know, sometimes we don't see that yield loss and the research has shown that too, but at least the, 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 the amount of acres that I walked, all of them just happen to be right at that R1 growth stage, which is an absolute worst time to be getting dinged up with, uh, with a, shot at that camera like that um, off target movement. So just be aware of that there is a lot of injury. Um, the best thing I can tell you as far as all herbicide drift incidents, you know, no matter which herbicide it is, if you have a field subjected to off target movement, please call the Arkansas State Plant Board to document that injury uh, and then have them come out and investigate potential sources to see if they can, you know, find which direction or the source that it came from. Um, and, and as always, feel free to, uh, to call or text me as well. Um, and I, I can give my two cents there too, but, um, getting off of the herbicide drift conversation, the next thing I really wanted to hit on was just kind of an overall summary. And this can occur, you know, beginning of the year, ending the year, anything like that. But what I just wanted to emphasize was make sure we're all double checking our herbicide labels again, too, with whatever we're applying. Um, you know, for example, one, one tidbit that I really wanted to hit on, I had a few calls on this this year was checking to make sure that our herbicides, uh, are the same active and, uh, are, are the same active load. So we may have two different herbicides that are the same active ingredient, but the active load in that, in those herbicides may be different. So my prime example of this is Quinstar versus Facet. 
So both are Queen Clorac products, both are labeled in rice, both can do the exact same job. But the difference is, as Facet is a two pound uh, of AI per gallon product, and Quinstar is a four pound of AI per gallon product. So what that means is, is you know, Facet, a typical common rate is a quart, you know, per acre. With Quinstar, because it's basically a double active load, really a common rate for that then is 16 ounces per acre. 16 ounces would be equivalent to a quart rate of facet. 16 ounces of Quinstar would be equivalent to a quart rate of facet. Now we had a couple instances this year where guys didn't double check their labels and they sprayed Quinstar at a quart rate per acre, which is equivalent to 64 ounces of facet. That's a huge load of facet. The rice didn't like that at all. It didn't grow out of it. It was really banged up. You know, and so we've just really got to pay attention to some of those little things. You know, like I mentioned, Quinstar is an excellent product. It can still do a great job, but we need to be applying it at the, the specific rates. Otherwise, we can run into some some big issues there. So, you know, double check herbicide labels for things like that. Um, double check and make sure that, you know, if we are using other generics, that they are equivalent to some of our brand products as far as, you know, potentially safeners used or what kind of uh, adjuvant load they might have. Maybe we, you know, maybe we need to add in some extra surfactant. Maybe we don't, those kinds of things. Just pay attention to some of those little details because they can, you know, really go a long way at, at our final weed control aspects. Um, also, just as we're getting later in the season with these herbicide labels, the other thing I wanted to just make you aware of to double check is um, the season use limits and as well cutoff timings for our various herbicides in our different cropping systems. So it's really important that we follow some of that, you know, some of those cutoff timings for either, you know, potentially residues in our plant material or, you know, for plant back intervals the following year. Um, it's also important to follow those season use limits again for maybe residuals left in the soil, for carryover potential, for all those kinds of things. So we really need to observe those label um, requirements for those as well. And we do have a couple new publications that can help with that. Um, the MP566 uh, is application cutoff timings for common herbicides. And we also have the MP567 max use rates per application and per season for common herbicides. So those two publications can, uh, can be a real benefit. Um, just a quick handy reference guide to provide those inf that information to you for a lot of our common herbicides used across the state and across different cropping systems. Um, so feel free, you know, we can, you can either grab those and download those from, uh, from the internet, from our, from our webpage, or visit with your local county extension agent to receive some physical copies of these publications. So just be on the lookout for those, and, and those can be some quick handy reference guides for some of that information that you might need. Now, finally, the last thing I kind of wanted to hit on was a few, you know, getting towards the end of the season weed control thoughts as far as uh, as far as the 2021, you know, growing season goes for weeds. Um, the first thing I wanted to mention is that if weeds like, especially like barnyard grass are, you know, getting basically out of hand, we're at multiple tillers, we're, we flooded the field, so we only, you know, half the plant emerge, you know, seed heads are already coming out, all of that kind of stuff. You know, it's really probably at that point time to cut our losses and just save the money. You know, instead of just trying to throw everything under the sun at it to kill it, you know, and spending $60 an acre on that post-flood, post-emergence shot, it's really probably a lot better in the end that we just save the money, 
we we take the loss, we deal with uh, with the weeds being out there and probably some of the harvest inefficiencies, uh, but it saves us as far as spending that much more money on a weed control post program that probably won't kill it at this point anyway either. So at some point we you know we we just have to cut our losses if we've got some of those major escapes and, and in a lot of our fields I think we're to that point where we just need to to cut the loss and and let them go and and move on and try and fight that battle next year. Um, in other areas where we have younger crops, we really need to be watching our moisture and temperatures closely. Uh, we've gotten really hot and really dry in a lot of areas. And so the best thing I can tell you there is, you know, if we can, and I get this is, this is just darn near impossible, but if we can try to avoid spraying in the, you know, the absolute heat of the afternoon, um, is better just because we've seen some reductions in weed control, especially from things like clincher and regiment when temps got above 90 degrees consistently. Um, so if we can avoid spraying in that dead heat of the afternoon, also if we can run water down furrows and get our beds completely wicked across, no matter what cropping system we're in, you know, soybean, cotton, even, you know, row rice, anything like that, if we can make sure that we have good soil moisture there, that will help a lot for either activating residuals in some of our younger crops or for any of our post-emergent products that we're spraying. It helps with their absorption and translocation in the plant because then those, those weeds are actively growing there, actively moving sugars and water and everything through the plant. They'll move that herbicide better too with more moisture. So again, really watch our temperatures and really watch our moisture levels to try and get the most out of our weed control strategies that we can at this point. And then one final note on the weed control front, let's not forget about, uh, about our prevented plant acres or our laid out ground out there either. Um, you know, again, I know there's a handful of those acres out there and if we can, can, you know, kill those weeds in these fields this year, I know it's, uh, you know, we're, we're basically throwing money at herbicides on a field that's not going to give us anything, but if we can kill a lot of our weeds out there with burned down herbicides, non-selective herbicides, and reduce what's returning to that soil seed bank, it can really benefit us a lot in future cropping system years by reducing the number of weeds that we'll have out there. So just don't forget about those fields. Make sure that uh, we get out there and, and get a lot of that stuff controlled too and, and help us out down the road in the future uh, for, for more growing seasons down the road. So with that, those kinds of hits on, or that kind of hits on all the topics that I wanted to hit on today for, for this episode. Um, I did want to mention that uh, since we've gotten later into the growing season here, um, I think we're, we're uh, Dr. Barber and, and Dr. Norsworthy and I have discussed it, and we're going to start releasing our pod, podcast bi-weekly from here on out as opposed to weekly, just because, you know, the weed control front is kind of slowing down and we're moving into other areas uh, of, of prevalence, I guess, for this year. But we still wanted to produce some information and get some information out there. Um, but we're just going to do it bi-weekly now moving forward uh, for the rest of the season. Um, so basically next week, there won't be a podcast, uh, a Weeds Are Wild podcast. But two weeks from now, Dr. Tom Barber will be back to host this uh, Weeds Are Wild podcast series and provide that fresh episode. Um, so until then, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to get a hold of me and ask questions. Um, you know, if there's anything else I can do to help, please don't hesitate to ask. And as always, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for listening. Thanks for the continued support. Um, and with that, I just wanted to say thanks for joining us for this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.uada.edu.